Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid. Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley here for the weekly Talk and Footy episode. We're up to Talk and Footy episode number three for the 2023 season. So for those that haven't listened to these ones before, these are the Rugby League chat episodes. They are not the Supercoach episodes. Our Supercoach episodes hit each Wednesday after recording on a Tuesday evening for Supercoach TLT. And our Talk and Footy ones, we try and make sure that they're up before the first game's kicked off on a Thursday. So... If you like talking footy, you like Supercoach, listen to them both. But on this one, we've got Matty Person on board again to have a chat to us. Podcast veteran, gets around everywhere and is also a big Tigers fan too, which isn't great <laughs> at the moment to jump on podcasts and talk about. But I made sure per se that for this one that you're jumping on, I don't have any Tigers topics, okay? So it's, it's not going to be too bad for you. But welcome aboard again. <laughs> yeah. Good way to start the show, Barzi. Um <laughs> I've got nothing to say on it. Look, I, it's seasoned. I'm not. I'm not disappointed. Put it that way. I, I was uh, pretty well prepared for our mediocrity. So <laughs> it's glad we started off on a touch like that. But um, it's well. I mean, they've met your expectations. So pretty much. Season, pretty really. much. Yeah, I'm not disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Tigers aside, it's been a cracking start to the season this year. I did, the footy's been unreal for this time of season. Been very close. Um, and the competition, I don't think there's been any easy beats and there certainly hasn't been any domination really either. So I think it's been a really good even competition, which is hard to do with a 16-team comp. I think every round I'm waiting for the penny to drop. You know, you get that drop-off all of a sudden from the, the teams that aren't quite as good. They lose a bit of depth or they lose a bit of motivation after the start of the season is is in the rearview mirror. Or they get a few losses and yet inevitably it starts happening about now. So I'm pretty interested to see round four what happens because that's a month in and normally it starts to erode a little bit. You start to see a bit of pack separation and stuff, but it hasn't really shown that, has it? Leading into round four, we didn't really see much drop-off in round three for any of the teams or really anything to say that this was going to happen and we we're going to get any team, you know, have those big changes in form from what we've seen from them. No, not at all so far. I suppose there hasn't really been a lot of key injuries outside of one or two clubs either so far. And um, the team's having a, a buy each week. We'll probably play hands in that a bit too. And it's been, we're out of lead in you now. So March is back to being bloody hot again. So you can take sort of that with a bit of a grain of salt as well, as far as the comp's going to go. It'll take probably another two or three weeks to settle down, I think. So this last round, round three, that's the first topic, as always, on the Talking Footy episodes. We talk about the round that was. And I have to say, the uh, the scoring this round was up. It's the first round so far where every team that's won has scored at least 20 points. And, in fact, the majority or half of them scored 30-plus. So we're starting to see some of those big point scoring. It was bloody hot. I reckon that's yeah, yeah, well, there was that as well. It's, yeah, that's probably a good point. But like I have to say, the first game that we're going to touch on, the Manly Sea Eagles 34, the Parramatta Eagles 30. It was it's still hot at night, and certainly in those those games, it was hot still at 30 degrees odd. But that wasn't an excuse for some of these games. Like I was really entertained by the Manly Para game, and Para unlucky that they're 0 three because they could have easily won that. I enjoyed 
lots of things that Parra did per so. I enjoyed lots of things that Manly did. I'll get the negative out of the way first, though, with it. Jeez, the defence was horrid for some of that. Like, if either of these sides are serious about going to a grand final, they can't defend like that. Like, it was it was good and bad because, like, one of my favourite parts of it was Clint Gutherson scored two tries, and it was just, like, great Gutho tries where he was just showing the popping up, showing the ball everywhere, and he bamboozled about three or four defenders each time that didn't actually get a hand on him. And it's like, wow, that's great play from Clint Gutherson. But at the same time, it was terrible ball watching from Manly, which, you know, you learn about in under-12s, your coach will get the stick out and say, stop stop ball watching. Um, and normally at this level, you don't really see it like that. And Manly just opened up where Gutho's just run through for 20-metre runs with no one touching him. doesn't really happen like that. And vice versa too, when you look at the Manly side, they had some tries that were just terrible. Uh, and also even... You know, Tom Dravojevic will score with the best of them, but him busting over near the sticks right up the middle early, it's just, yeah, I thought that the defence was very lacking, but am I alone in this one? Nah, defence was horrible <laughs> from both sides, but it was an entertaining game because it was a close game the whole way, and that's that's entertaining on the eye. But as, if you're a coach, you're certainly not going to think it was a great game of football. Both sides were pretty poor in defence. Didn't take a lot of opportunities. Even... Um, Hop good there, throwing that, that oh, the intercept, the intercept that lost in the game in the end. You know, it was just it was just one of those games with that sort of stuff. But it was entertaining to the eye. But um, yeah, defense was just yeah. How yeah, about the Josh Hodgson run? We didn't even mention that one. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> he looked like he was bloody <laughs> Usain Bolt. <laughs> he went through a hole. And he's like he's pretty slow. <laughs> There's no one chasing him. He's just like, where'd that come from? Look, someone shot him out of a cannon. Oh mate, I, I remember going away on holidays and I saw a tortoise race one time, and it, it was kind of like that. It was all these tortoises chasing this one that was just <laughs> mildly in front. It was crazy. It sort of it seemed to take half the game for him to get to the try line. I just I couldn't believe it. Like. I don't think he could believe it either. And it's probably a good indication of the defense in this one. Like when you look at the numbers, like numbers wise, it didn't look too bad. Like I think it was one of those things where defensively, you know, they missed 21 and 27 tackles, which is pretty average. It's not terrible. Uh, but at the same time, it was just because there was times where tackles weren't even missed because there wasn't a hand put on. Uh, I mean, look, I, for me, I loved Gutho's performance. I love, he cops a fair bit, but I just love how he always tries so hard. And sometimes it just comes off for him where you just get a bit of magic and he just loves it. And you can tell when you're watching it. And he had a couple of really good tries. And I just thought that he was pretty sensational for them. Two tries, obviously, but Mike Acevo also got a double. And I thought that he started off pretty well in form too. He seems to be doing a bit more work this year and also finishing really well. Uh, but obviously for, on the Manly side, the, the Turbo and Garrick show just continues to soldier on and, while they're healthy, I mean, DCE had a bit of a forgettable game, but the, the Turbo and Garrick show just keeps going and they just get points from that day in and day out. Yeah, DCE had a bit of a quiet one. We sort of didn't really need to choose. They had three tries in that game too, so it's just one of those sort of things. But Turbo doesn't even look like he's really hit top gear by any stretch at the moment. And whatever he's going well, he's always got Garrick on the outside, so... Merely look pretty good so far. It'll be a bit more of a test this week, I suppose, against South away. But um, they've started the world this season pretty well. That could be an entertaining game too. If if Souths aren't feeling too battered from um, that that Roosters performance we're about to talk about, then uh, th- they could go well against um, opening up Manly and putting some points on the board. And it could be another entertaining one that we've got on our hands there. 
Uh, but let, let, let's talk about that one. 20 to 18, the Roosters won. Probably the, the best thing to lead off this game with Burso is that I actually said on one of our Facebook groups on a game thread where we were chatting about the game, quick, let's get everybody that matters off the field. There's 10 to go. <laughs> no one's been set off yet. <laughs> and then it just blows up, doesn't yeah. it? Manu ends up yeah. with a black eye. Someone throws a punch. There's a rabbit punch from someone and... Cameron Murray gets in trouble and someone else gets sinned in. Of all people, Cheekham gets a sinned in. Cheekham gets a sinned in, that's right. And it was just like, oh, no, we've still got 10 minutes left for him. There's still still enough time for carnage in this one. So it was, yeah. But it was good to get. Who are we going to pick? Oh, someone's got to go. Oh, Cheekham, you'll do. See you, mate. <laughs> in a serious note, though, and I, I had this discussion on the night when I was chatting to someone I was watching the game with, it really brings me back to when I was playing where the referees would send the person off that was third meaning all the time. And it always stopped the melees from getting bad, you know. And even when you could throw the fisticuffs when me and you played, it was always one-on-one. And, you know, or if any any two had a disagreement, they had the disagreement with each other. And if a third man ran in and started stuff or pushed around or pushed someone in the head or threw a little punch in, the third man was always the one in the most trouble. And it was always a penalty against him and his team. If they brought that back, and I thought about that in this one, because to me, right, and people will say it's Rooster's bias for me, that's fine, fair enough, I'm happy to take that. But Joey Manu went in for a tackle, which to me was a hard tackle across the top of the shoulder from behind to hit the ball out in a try-scoring situation. I really didn't think there was much in it. And yet I'm fine for a penalty there, but it shouldn't be a Simbin or anything else to me. But nothing would have happened from that to me if you didn't get the players run in, right? Because... Who he tackled got up and was okay and just sort of gave a bit of a side-eye. Nothing in it, right? Oh, well, that's the problem with this at the moment. Uh, Cheekham wasn't even the third man. He was like the third South guy. And they sent Martin and it's like, oh, we've got to send a Bunnies player as well. So <laughs> who's it going to be? Right, you're gone. I just, I did, uh, three years ago, it was rare. You'd never saw a Simbin. Now it's like you're expecting one a game at least. Yeah, I mean, do you, do you agree with me that, you, that it works better to punish that third man in more. Like, you might want to blow the penalty, but... Oh, 100% it does. It's always been that way, this. Even back when you were throwing, you know, you, you were throwing them, and it was always a guy that came running in from nowhere that would tackle one of the guys out of the way, or he was always the one that was going to the bin, not the two guys that started it. Yeah, I mean, look, it would give us some Cody Walker satisfaction if they brought that rule in too, because he'd spend half the season on the sideline. But it's no more South jabs for me. I am a Roosters fan, but I'll, I'll relent. Uh, look, I thought South played very well, um, and they're on top very, very easily, 10-0, very quickly in um, 13th minute. Alex Johnson went over after Kieran Kalamatungi, who I have to say is in absolutely scintillating form. Has to be one of the best second rowers in the comp at the moment on form. But South looked pretty dominant and I was worried as a Roosters fan because it's what we've seen from my side the last couple of years that we get down 10-0 and we start to make some mistakes and we get tired and we were lacking a little bit even though we had Jared Weir Hargraves back we still have some forwards out I was a bit worried um but then choosing uh Jared on the sideline while that was happening yeah so I mean I was pleasantly surprised when when Jared came on that the way that he turned the tide. And I think that it really screams to the fact that um, how much the middles are important and overlooked. Like even we talk about all the try scorers and stuff when we do these reviews, but really, you know, Jared for me was one of the most influential players on the field. 
he dominated the middle and I thought the Roosters really got on the back off his work and his play the balls and his aggression and his, his defence as well. Um, and on, on the other side too, with the South Sydney side, they're obviously missing a heap of guys like Arrow and Totola and so forth. And I think that that really, you know, hurts them as well in the middle. Oh, it's undeniable the impact that um, Wira Hargraves has on that Roosters side. It, <laughs> he is like, they, he's probably just as integral as any playmaker in that side which sounds funny when you're talking about your Tedesco's and your Kiris and guys like that. But when Argos is out, they really lack. He's just that dominant in the middle. Like he, and he just leads the rest of the boys and pulls everyone with him. Yeah, his numbers in 38 minutes, made 23 of 24 tackles, 17 runs for 174 metres, which led the Roosters in run metres. Yeah, that's nuts in 38 minutes. And he had zero penalties conceded and zero errors, which has always been a problem for him. For a bloke who's about 50 and coming off injury. Yeah, 34 <laughs> years old, played no preseason and comes in and does that against South Sydney. Uh, I thought it was outstanding. And uh, like to give South a wrap too, I mentioned Keon Kalamatangi, you know, three offloads, one line break try, 34 runs, 14 tackles. Oh, I think he's playing absolutely outstanding football and should be in the New South Wales jersey at the moment. But I've got to give a shout out to Campbell Graham in this one. Campbell Graham absolutely destroyed this game and he was awesome last week as well. And he's a guy who went went on the kangaroo tour last year and actually got heckled by a lot of fans. There was a lot of fan feedback and even in the media, what's Campbell Graham doing there? Such and such should be there. This guy should be there. Tony Stagg should be there. All these different players getting named. To me, Campbell Graham, if you're looking at actual centres, not guys like the Trell or Tom Trevojevic, Campbell Graham's the best centre in the game to me. And I don't think that he gets that accolade at all from anybody. He had two line breaks, one line break assist, one try assist, four tackle breaks. Defensively, he was fantastic. And, you know, I just, I think that he started off the season on fire, but yet again, he just doesn't seem to get the props that he deserves. And I thought he was fantastic against the Roosters. Oh, he's outstanding. I love Campbell Graham. He's a gun. Um, I've been singing his praises for a couple of years now. He started this season on fire. Nothing you'd expect out of the ordinary. He, he's defensively solid as a nutty man as cock. He takes all the dirty carries. He's not one of those guys that will just hang out and just wait for a ball and wait for the clutch plays. Like he, he rolls his sleeve up and takes dirty carries each week at centre. I had uh, was only saying to a mate on the weekend. Like after the, he played on the wing for Australia, the right wing on the, on that tour in the World Cup. I reckon Tahoe's spot for New South Wales is under is sort of under a bit of threat from Graham. Obviously, you're going to have if everyone's fit, you'll have Latrell and uh, Turbo as the two centres, and Teddy be fullback. I wouldn't, I would not uh, bat an eyelid if Graham won that right wing spot over Tahoe. No, and it should be a genuine competition. Like I think it's fine to say that Tahoe is the incumbent, and if he's playing well enough, you let him keep his jersey, but. If Campbell Graham's playing twice as well as him, which I would say he is at the moment, then you have to give it to Campbell Graham, don't you? I think so. And he, I'll tell you one thing, Campbell Graham's not going to let you down, that's for sure. He's so good defensively. He's got the size. He's a very, very smart footballer. Uh, I, I, I could sing his praises all day, but we need to talk about the rest of the game. Uh, Latrell Mitchell was a bit of a low light in this one again. And I have to say, you know, he had a couple of line break assists and a try assist, but look... 128 run metres, not great from a fullback. And just, again, these are the sort of games where you're sort of expecting to fire up. And even though 
you know, as a Roosters fan, you might like to get into him or whatever. I think all the Roosters fans, a lot of them anyway, still have a great respect for him as a footballer and still want to see Latrell perform. And it makes it a great game, right? Roosters versus Souths, Teddy versus Latrell, both of them fired up, both of them firing shots at each other with line breaks and tries and stuff. And he just didn't quite seem there. We, we just haven't seen the, the Latrell form that we we're kind of hoping for. He's been close, but just a little bit off. And I really thought this game, with all the emotion and everything, he really would have stepped up and been up for it, but he just didn't feel it to me. He's been like that all season so far, hasn't he? He's sort of in and out of the game. Well, he has his brilliant moments. I mean, this is always the trail. He's never going to be a dominant sort of guy that's got his hands on the ball three times every set, like at a Tedesco or a Turbo, but he just sort of, he hasn't really stamped his authority on a game yet so far this season, has he? No, he really hasn't. Um, and when we look at the team stats, the Roosters had 77% completion to the Rabbitohs, 62%. And that really tells a story. Um, we're not always worried about the Roosters possibly starting to make mistakes and give penalties. It was actually the Rabbits that started doing that and the Roosters stayed disciplined. And that doesn't normally happen. It's definitely talked about before this week's game where Robbo wanted the, the Roosters to take the emotion out of it and stuff because it hasn't gone well for them in the past. So I think largely they did that. Um, and when you're looking at the errors as well, you know, Scouts had 15 errors to the Roosters' nine. So really, uh, it was a bit of a, a backwards from the last couple of games where Scouts had gotten the better of the Roosters due to the Roosters making poor errors and poor completion rates. So I, I was really impressed by that as a Roosters fan. Um, I would have actually rather they didn't have the bye this week because I think that they needed to get that follow-on footy to keep that up. I'm a bit worried coming out of a bye per so and after that good performance on how they're going to turn up in round five. Yeah, they do have a few guys that could we're probably looking for a buy though. You've had a bit of a, a few niggles. So it, I don't think that'll necessarily be a bad thing. Dolphins thirty six to Newcastle twenty. Uh the Dolphins just keep on keeping on, don't they? It was Fins a, up, baby. Fins up. Entertaining game. Uh you're up Newcastle way. I'm sure that people were pretty disappointed scoring twenty points and letting the Dolphins score thirty six, but I mean they are struggling a little bit the Knights. Look, it really did go back and forth. So to Newcastle's credit, especially that middle part of the game, they scored two tries in a 10-minute period between the 36th minute and 47th minute. Uh, Knights were missing a fair whack of players. Yeah. Too. Let's be fair. Palmer and Braley and Cyferdy, uh, Frizzell. Well, that Phoenix crossed on at nine. Like, it's it's very, very tough. They had to get special dispensation from the NRL to put two players on the bench. Yeah, so I mean... Like, I, Outside the top I think they'd be pretty so. proud of that effort, really. But, you know, it's... Under- they hung in there for a fair whack. I mean, they played for the best part of... Against the Tigers the week before, the best part of the game with sort of 14 players available. Ponga went down the first five minutes and that would have, that would have taken a lot out of them to, to hang on in that. So, mm, um, I don't know. It's... Uh, I'm a bit worried about the Knights. But... um. They do have some excuses at the moment. Yeah, they do. Uh, unfortunately, they've got to get Ponga back and they've got to get some wins on the board. Um, the Dolphins was a good opportunity. Um, the Dolphins away from home playing at Newcastle, I thought, was a was a chance for the Knights. But I highlighted this game player-wise for me. I've always really liked Tessie New. Uh, I've always thought even in the lower grades, like I really like the look of him. He hasn't really translated as well as what you'd hope at NRL level. Obviously, at fullback and at centre, there's been a lot of... Issues with his defence, but attacking-wise, he's still quite an outstanding young footballer. Have we found his place on a wing, Perso? He's just scored three tries against Newcastle with two line breaks and didn't miss a tackle either and didn't make an error. 
maybe on the wing is his spot because I, I thought he finished exceptionally well against Newcastle on the weekend. Yeah, I think so, Barnsley. He's played pretty well all season so far, all three games on the wing. Fullback, yeah, he he's just he was horrible in defence at fullback. Always had ability in sack, but uh, he was just horrible at, at, in defence. Under Bennett this year, he's doing the job on the wing, that's for sure. I do think that sometimes as well with some of these young guys, we're kind of, I don't know, maybe like 15 years removed from this, but 15 years ago, you used to get all these young guys coming through on the wing. Like, do you remember Ben Craig coming through? As a second rower, and he yeah. played on the wing. <laughs> Cohen Hesp started on the wing. <laughs> Luke, Luke Lewis. Luke Lewis, yeah. He's Luke one. Lewis won a premiership on the wing with the Panthers in 2003. Yeah, it was a very, it was a very rugby league thing for coaches to get uh, the forwards that weren't the big props and throw them on the wing. And also anyone in a back line, whether you're a half, whether you're a fullback, whether you're a centre, put them on the wing. And they kind of even Billy Slater debuted on the wing. There was all but full, younger fullbacks coming through. Always came in and debuted on the wing. Yeah, Roger Tuivasa and Sheck from yeah, from exactly. Roosters. Yeah, it's it makes you wonder. They did go away from that, and it does make you wonder whether um, doing that sort of thing actually helps you as a player develop. Like with Tessie New, for instance, I could see him getting better with the game time on the wing and being successful for a couple of years on the wing and then transitioning back to fullback and being a totally different player. Like, that could happen. And it is something that we used to see. I think it's even more important in the modern game now with how um, integral the fullbacks are with directing the side around. Well, they're, one of, they're probably pretty much just as important as a halfback in most sides. So you get a young fullback coming through, Dave Bowen, and like, he doesn't have all those sort of skills. Definitely coming in on the wing for a season or two and then moving to fullback. I think it's probably more prominent now than it should be. Yeah, it's a bit it's a bit strange that they've actually moved away from that so much in coaching, but um, especially when I think now you have more younger players coming through than you did before. Like I'd hazard a guess at 15 years ago, the average debut age probably was sort of like 22 or something, and now it's probably more like 19, 20. A bit surprising, but, you know, we'll move on to the other games. Uh, now, Super Saturday serves us up first the Titans and the Storm, and this one was... An absolute boil over 38 to 34. The Titans defeat the Storm. Oh, I, I did not see it coming at all. Uh, even well, sort of, uh, you know, Camperera scored two tries and Tanner Boyd scored another to give them three tries by the 22nd minute. At that point, it was 16 to 6. And even at that point, I went, the Storm are going to come. And then all of a sudden, Nick Meany goes over, Tarek Sims goes over, Nick Meany goes over again. And then at the 35th minute, the Storm are on, tr- on top seemingly comfortably. And you kind of thought the Storm are going to go on with this. This is the game that I thought it was going to be. I had a minus eight and a half points on sports. But I thought, oh, no, you're right, Barnsley. <laughs> 39th minute, right before halftime, bloody Brian Kelly scores. And then the Titans are the ones that come out fired up, not the Storm. Vuno over in the 42nd minute, Shoop in the 46th minute, and then a couple of goals after that. You know, it was only Jerome Hughes that scored for the first time for the Storm in the 66 minute, and then a garbage time try with a few minutes to go from Xavier Coates that even got them back in it. I was super surprised by this person. I expected after the Bellamy spray and the terrible attitude and performance the week before in round two, the Storm to come out firing. Totally didn't respond like the old Storm did, though, to a Bellamy spray at halftime. If anything, they came out worse. It's a little bit concerning for the Storm. It's very unstorm-like to use a, <laughs> a pun. Yeah, and even though they had M- Munster was obviously out, Pezzett, the um, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right, the young half that they brought in. Yeah, Pezzett. He he was 
pretty good um, considering he hasn't played before. You know, he got a try line break that was pretty classy. He had a line break try assist as well. It's not like he didn't contribute. He wasn't a speed bump or making heaps of errors. Like, I don't think they had a lot of excuses, really, the Storm in this one. They made far too many errors for what you expect out of the Storm. Even just silly ill discipline ones, like Trent Learad gave away a couple of really silly penalties in that second half. 63% completion rate. So yeah. Well, that's, they just, you, for some, you expect them to come out in the second half and be better, but if anything, they're worse. Mm, I wasn't particularly impressed with anyone in this one, to be honest. I thought Meany did some good things um, and Hughes sort of tried at the end, but it was pretty pretty patchy. And, I mean, where to from here, personally, on the storm? Because, I mean, to me, the Gold Coast Titans showed their hand the week before. They got fairly walloped against the Dragons. So, I mean, if they're going to come in the next week and, and they're going to beat the Storm, what does that say about the Storm's future games and where they're coming? You know? The only one that was doing anything was Harry Grant. Looked like he was trying to do everything himself there at one point. Yeah, I mean, look, you're right. We should... We should give him a bit of uh, some props because he had three tries and two line break assists and he did try hard. And he did that in the heat at CFAS while making 41 tackles as well. So not an easy feat for Harry, but needs a bit of support, that's for sure. Um, I didn't even think the Gold Coast were that outstanding either. But Queensland Country Bank Stadium had the North Queensland Cowboys host the Warriors. And this was another really surprising result. I said in the Supercoach podcast per se leading into round three, this one's going to be close. I didn't think that the Cowboys were going to get the type of win that people were expecting because I don't think they've shown us enough yet and we drink water out. It really hurts their attack. They lose 26 to 12, though, to the Warriors. Warriors have been pretty good (laughs) to start the season. They haven't been brilliant, but they've been uh, a lot better than they have been in past seasons. Yeah, Cowboys... I'm definitely missing drink water. They, but they, but even with drink water, the first two rounds they haven't been looking as clinical in attack as they were last year. Yeah, it's, it's it is very true. And I mean, to the Warriors' credit, they have conceded twelve, twenty, and twelve points in the first three rounds of football. So if they're defending like that, it, it probably puts them in a really good spot to to win games. And conversely, for the Cowboys, they're a side that seems to be struggling for attack at the moment. So I guess it's probably not a great matchup. And I was. Concern for the Cowboys at how they, their forward pack would match up with the Warriors because I thought their forward pack's been fairly outstanding. Whereas the Cowboys, uh, you know, McLean, Nanai, Hass, these guys have been. Nanai's been terrible. Yeah. I thought I'd the elephant in the room. He's just been terrible. Yeah, I was going to try and say that a bit more constructively, but I guess we may as well get to the point. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he, what's he run a hundred run meters in three games or something for a guy that's come off a kangaroo tour last year? I mean, I know he burst on the scene, scored a lot of tries off kicks and whatever, but he just hasn't been involved at all so far this season. No, and look, it's, it's got to be his fault, and you can't you can't be one of these rugby rugby league fans that blames the halves or anyone else for not getting it out to his edge. It doesn't matter, you know. You see good edge forwards come in and take hit ups all the no. time. People whinge about Fafita being lazy all the time. But Fafita, he's been <laughs> he, he's three times the runs a game that Nanai has at any point. Well, Nanai had six runs on the weekend, and that's his season high. And he's yeah. got a game there where he's got three runs in a, in a game. Well, that's Yeah, that's pretty ordinary. Mm. I, I made the comment that was fairly controversial this week, I think, but I stand by it that 
I would be concerned giving Nanai that big contract. Um, 100%. Like it's, it smells like the David Fafita contract, except Fafita was a lot better. So I don't know what that says about a Nanai contract. Mate, Nanai's going to come under the same media scrutiny as Fafita's had for the last two years since he's torn that contract because of this contract. Mm-hmm. Now, look, he's only young. I think he's only just turned twenty. So I mean, he's got he's got plen- plenty of time to improve and to get better. But it's just one of those things in rugby league, isn't it? Personally, where we're seeing it now, where we put this pressure on young kids. And I mean, look, managers and and players are to blame too. Players as well. They, they put the pressure on themselves by trying to get these big money deals. And you you understand why players and their managers and obviously players' families and everyone involved want the most money possible. The problem is I don't think that, you know, the managers understand it, but I don't think the players and those around the players that are close to them understand that with the money, and it's almost like a Spider-Man quote, right, with great power comes great responsibility. With great contract money comes great responsibility and you should expect to be scrutinised because if you're getting paid close to a million bucks a year, you're going to be expected to carry a team. That man-eye contract was ridiculous. I mean, good luck to the kid for getting it, but, yeah, I it's going to take a lot of character for him for it not to proceed him. So watching this Cowboys-Warriors game, you know, where to for, for the Cowboys and the Warriors? To me, I still can't quite get around the Warriors being a top eight side, but they've probably earned that at the moment. Um, this was played away from home at Townsville. Conversely, I was pretty down on the Cowboys and I feel fairly warranted. I don't see the Cow- I see the Cowboys improving in coming weeks, but I don't know if they can get that improvement into them straight away. How do you feel about them after this game? Uh Oh, to be honest, the Cowboys are always going to be a bit regressive this year, in my opinion. They had a, a massive season last year off a draw that suited them. Kudos still. They played really well. They got momentum and they, they had a good season. Fell short at the end. To be able to back that up this year was always going to be a really hard uh, challenge. Well, only three rounds in, they may well do it. But it wouldn't have surprised me. Oh, I'd, I've had them at the bottom end of the eight. I didn't think they'd repeat what they did last year. So I'm not really surprised how they've started. Uh, Warriors look a hell of a lot more resilient than they have done in recent times. Their defence is good. So that's a good sign there. I mean, Webster has come out of that Penrith system as well. He's sort of the forgotten guy there. He doesn't get much kudos. Webster coming across. No one sort of worries about the Warriors. So We'll see how they go. The good test from this week. If they can beat the dogs this week, then, you know, people might start taking a bit more notice of the Warriors, especially if they defend well again. Yeah, and their key seems to be their defence. Um, so it will be interesting against the dogs who are red hot, and we'll talk about them pretty soon. Uh, the next game was the Broncos and the Dragons, and I watched this one up at the pub, and I bet on the Dragons to win because I saw them at $4, and I went, wow, you yeah. know, I think this might be close. And I was so annoyed that it got played out because... Uh, I mean, tipping comps, I picked the Dragons for an upset. They just tend to play well against the Bronx up there, which they did for 70 minutes. Yeah, it was 16 to <laughs> 6 and a half. And then... It, it was 18 all, 10 to go. 18 all with 10 to go. And then the Dragons lose 40 to 18. Absolutely ridiculous. The, the Broncos ran tries in the 71st, 73rd, 76th and 78th minute. I was thinking about it. Um, on the weekend per so, sitting there wallowing in my beer with my broken bet slips. And <laughs> I could not come up with another example of a game where a team has scored four tries between like the 71st and 78th minute in that fashion. Not when it hasn't been an arm sling and the other side's doing it as well. That was just ridiculous. 
Bane Haas came on and just went berserk. Yeah, pretty deflating for the Dragons as well <laughs> because you know they they. Oh, you you watch Hawk even in the uh, press conference afterwards. Like he was talking his boys up. They played well the whole lot. They did everything right, and then that just that last ten minutes got away from them. So yeah. Yeah, and when you look at the numbers too, you know, 81% completion for the Dragons, 83% completion for the Broncos. It was a high-quality game. The problem was the Broncos had 57% possession. So in footy, when you're looking at a side just collapsing like the Dragons did, um, sometimes it's the collapse under the weight of possession or, in the Dragons' case, not having possession. I think that was the, the straw that broke the camel's back, wasn't it? That, the straw that they first got, and then in that heat with that possession, I think that was it. The floodgates just opened. Yep. 100%. And when we're talking about stars, Reese Walsh has come in after missing the first Broncos game and he's now starting two games in a row. And he has been the centrepiece of their attack. There's no denying it. Um, he was a, a big catalyst in that second half for the Broncos coming back and getting this win convincingly. Pretty outstanding and really a, a very different type of fullback than what the, the Broncos have had any time, you know, in recent memory. Yeah, for sure. He's someone that's actually a bit electric at the back. He's got a bit of pace. He can create something out of nothing. They've been lacking that at the Broncos for a while, with all respect to the, the recent fullbacks they've had. Yeah, he had two line break assists, a line break and try himself, and a few try assists in there as well. Absolutely. A lot of that came in the last 10 minutes. but Oh, I did. And for the Supercoach players, for those that don't play Supercoach, you know, he was on zero points at halftime. <laughs> he ended up on 95 points. In the, for the second half performance. So, yeah, that probably tells you about uh, how he plays the game, but he's still an exceptional player for the Broncos, and uh, that's really helped him a lot. Um, Carrigan came in under an injury cloud too, and I've got to say, you know, he had dental surgery. He was had his wisdom teeth pulled out two days prior. Yeah, for anyone who hasn't had their <laughs> wisdom teeth pulled out, it is a terrible experience. It is extremely painful. <laughs> I was sick for probably three days where I didn't want to do anything. He's going to play a game of footy where he's had 17 hit-ups, made a line break, had 24 tackles and played 57 minutes of an NRL game on a Saturday night. Look, all credit to him. He deserves a round of applause. That's what the, I think the Broncos form's built off at the moment is their forward pack. Guys like him and Haas, just, they're just killing it and leading the way. The rest of the boys are going with them. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting at origin time. Um, because ordinarily it's the Broncos losing heaps of guys to Queensland. It hasn't been really the case in recent years because they've obviously had to buy a lot of players like Adam Reynolds and Capewell and so, well, Capewell's in Queensland, so guys like Adam Reynolds anyway. Um, I can't see Capewell making the sword this year. Yeah, that's true as well. But, I mean, the thing is that I think even though they've probably got less representatives than what they did like six or seven years ago in the Broncos, the guys that are coming out, take Haas and, and Carrigan out. Yeah. Take Harson, Harson Carrigan out of that, and possibly Flegler. He's sniffing around that as well. Yeah. That's a that's a massive yeah, loss. I think if either of those forwards are injured, I dare say the Broncos come down significantly too. And I think you know a lot of young rugby league fans that maybe haven't been looking at the game too long will probably be very surprised at how much the backs will suffer when guys like Harson Carrigan are out of that side. Bulldogs and Tigers. Didn't want to do it to your purse, though. Mm-hmm. We've got to do it. 26-22. <laughs> we, we only lost by four points in the end. I don't know how. If I was a Bulldogs fan, I'd be, I'd be filthy with that. Tigers were absolutely horrendous again. Tell me what you saw in this game from the Tigers. What, what was wrong with them? It's like watching under 12s in attack. 
Well, yeah, they're holding the middle. The forwards are like completion rates and stuff haven't been too bad this season, and the, the forwards get three metres. And but just in attack, like we we're in plenty of good positions. Well, we're getting in positions to score points, but when we're there, it's just it's it's that like there's no structure, there's no shape, there's no playing direct at all at any point. It's just like one up, one up. Let's just throw it through the hands at the left, or let's just throw it out through the head. It's just it's. Like watching it under twelves. I don't know what the hell's going on. I can't put my hand on it. There was a number of occasions where the players themselves for the Tigers in this game were visibly frustrated when they had the ball. Oh how many times did Appy dart out and there's no one following him? Well, how many times did he pick it up and not know where who to give it to? Like he gave That's what I mean. Like what the hell's going on? He gave him a spray a couple of times because obviously they weren't in position, but there was another time too where Appy gave the ball I can't recall which forward it was. I think it was Joe O got the ball and had to take a, a hit up that got got him belted two metres out from the defensive line when he was standing still and wasn't obviously ready to take a hit up. And he played the ball and looked back and he screamed at his team. Well, I Absolutely to, screamed at him. I don't understand. Like, you've had all off-season with this. You know what sort of play? Like, I, I just And that sort of play, just Tim Shane is just a re-renowned on that direct play up the middle from the dummy half. Farrod and Moulton, the Benji, used to be one of his key players up the middle all the time. I, I, I just I don't understand why they look so clunky. I don't understand. They just no one looks like they're on the same page. It's just it's horrendous. It really is horrendous. He took Bateman. Bateman, his first game got frustrated and took a went unders and then put a little grubber through, caught it, and <laughs> <laughs> face played. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> like it's like. Like, Welcome to the West the Tigers, Johnny. On? This is what happened. <laughs> yeah, if that was a camera, he scored that every day of the week. That bounce would have been perfect straight in his mitts and he would have put it down. It would have been four points. But uh, it, I, I don't know. I'm at a total loss with what's going on with him. I'll tell you the thing that's most concerning out of this game for me, for the Tigers, I remember years past, and it happened multiple seasons with the Roosters under Trent Robinson, where Robinson was uncharacteristically calm in some press conferences after some awful early season performances. And it used to give me the shits. I was, I used to really hate it, but there was a couple of times in particular where he said, I'm actually happy with the attack. We're just making errors, but I can see what we're trying to do. And what we're trying to do is what we're supposed to do basically. And that's important because, you know, it's one thing, to make mistakes trying to run through your plays and trying to execute your new attack structure. The problem with the Tigers is that they're not even just they're not even making mistakes because they don't even know to run it. They're not even running anything. And that's worrying. You know, if they were It's like everyone's standing there looking at each other going, well, what do we do? Well like you said, under twelves, you know, who wants to turn and have a run? Oh, I I'm not exaggerating with that. It's I've never seen an NRL side this bad attack. So do you think that Seriously, it's Tim Sheens is just, just way past it? Because he's obviously, a, from the past, a renowned attacking coach and he talked about all this attack and stuff. He's got Benji Marshall there. Do you, do you think that he's just past it and he's just made an overcomplicated game plan? Or what do you think's happened to you? Because you could see it this game. No idea. I don't know if it's if it's overcomplicated and they can't, or, or he's just go and do your thing. <laughs> and there's no structure. Like you just look at it, like you go from a, a very structured coach like Madge, and yes, we didn't quite perform well on him because he didn't sort of play to the cattle he had. It's like one extreme to the other. Somewhere in between is the key, I think. But 
I think we looked better under match last year than what we do now in attack. Our attack in the opposition 20 is just horrendous. It's like, it's, what do we do? You take the ball. And you stand there flat and then they'll pass it. So it's just, it is absolutely horrendous. I've never seen a side in the NRL be so poor. They moved Adam Dewey to fullback during 20. the game. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That'll happen again this week. Laurie's on the bench. So there'll be, there'll be some kind of, like, you're either going to drop Brooks and blame him or, like, I don't know. They'd give Noffo the hook and Wakem comes on, creates a bit in the end of a game where it was fucking 35-degree heat and now he's carting this week and, like, they've had a different spine every week. It's just like, I don't know what the hell's going on. I, I can't put my finger on it, but I'd back-to-back spoons. Well, on the, on the Bulldog side... Um, they have turned things around quite significantly since round one. Uh, I thought that their, yeah, you know, I thought their backs were very, very good. I thought it was the best backs performance that I've seen from them. Adoka hadn't scored a try yet, and him and Alamodi really combined fantastically on that side. Um, the treadmill, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> quick. Well, he reminded me of you know, remember playing like A grade park footy. And you'd, you'd oh, be on the beers the night before and you're, you're a front rower and you make this break <laughs> and you storm through and they're like, you're running 10 metres, you're like, I'm going to score a try. And then you go, oh, there's 50 metres left and you're just looking around, just waiting. Where's somebody? Where's somebody? It was it was like that, wasn't it? Oh, it was great. I loved it. Uh, but he did do a good job too, especially the, the, the second one there where he just waited and waited and waited and drew the full back and gave it to the Fox and the Fox ran away. It was well played by the young bloke. He didn't even look like he needed to on one of them. Like he gave a couple, but one of them he didn't even look like he needed to. It looked like there was no one near him, but he just wasn't going to have the puff to even keep keep jogging along. <laughs> uh, but I, I thought that um, Matt Burton was very good as well. Uh, he started off. That was his first game this year. Yeah, yeah. He, he ran the ball a lot more and he, he got caught a couple of times, but he had a really good solo try as well. Um, and I thought they looked best with him doing that. So that was a big plus. Well, yeah. It burns the first so far this year. The dogs have gone right a bit more in attack. Mm. Whether that's got more to do, which I think it does, to the opposition that they were playing with the left edge defence, so they've gone that way. That gives them two options now. Like, and then you go back to the, this week and they've left Chris on the left and Burton killed it. So there's good, very good signs there for the dogs. Yeah, and that's despite them being um, down some forwards still. And, you know, TPJ won't be too far away from coming back and that's really going to help them as well and give them a boost. And the other, in their forward stocks, you know, the other one I thought was outstanding again was Preston just keeps on keeping on, but big kick out. They invested a lot of money in kick out. He hasn't really paid him off yet in any of these games until probably now. He scored a really good um, try assist where he went through and gave a really nice little pass to Perham for the first try. And he just had those little touches of class that I think they bought him for and you got to see against the Tigers. Yeah, that that's combination is always going to take a bit more time to gel, especially when he's been in that system at Penrith, so used to the way they play. But uh, he's looking better every week. Preston's he's a real goer on that other edge. He can run a great line and he's just one of those workhorse type of guys. So they've got a real gem there, I think. The Canberra Raiders 24, the Cronulla Sharks 20 was the last game. I, I said on the Supercoach podcast, I'm putting money on the Raiders for an upset, and I can't believe that they're outsiders. I thought they would have come in pretty desperate for a win. Uh, I picked yep. GIO Stadium, pretty desperate for a win, playing a Shark side that really misses Hines. And I, um, I, I think that that might have given the Raiders a little push that they needed to get their season back on track. 
Yeah, they haven't been bad, have they? The Raiders, they just haven't been good, which is typical of a Raiders' start to a season. Well, that game against the Dolphins was in a quagmire. They were never sort of out of it, but they never looked like winning it either. Then on the weekend, they had some good signs, sort of nearly fell over again at the end, but it's something to build off. They get a few troops back this week, Papa Lee, and that's back, so that might be the win that kicks them off a bit. They always, they just look like a side that needs the cobwebs. They they always start slow, the Raiders, whether that's a Ricky thing, pacing them towards the end, but yeah, they never set the world on fire early. Well, I mean, we've got a shout out to the big red horse. How good is it? The double. <laughs> double try for the big He loves it too, doesn't he? That was a massive highlight. <laughs> that little. And a niggle with Royce. Well, I think the week dog, the, the week got a dog comment came out in that little scuffle. So that that's always entertaining. <laughs> yeah, well, Royce aren't came from Canberra, so they would have played a lot of Reggie's and stuff together. It was a fair bit of niggle, I reckon. And then in that, I saw that media thing today. It was tongue in cheek from Royce Hunt. In Ricky's words, he called him got a dog. We'll wait till next time. But <laughs> the horse. Do you think that he should have got sent to the bin? No, it's getting ridiculous, Barnsley. Yeah. Well, that. Uh, Fair dinkum. That's entertainment, right? The NRL wants all these tries to entertain fans. That's part of the entertainment too. You've got to keep something in the game. You've got to keep Your something. Fords can't the have game. a go at each other. Well, I mean, where are we going with this, really? Well, like we're, we're not talking about punching or anything. We're just talking about a bit of push and shove. It's like fair dinkum. You can't do anything anymore. You got to have that. That's theatre. People want to see that. Yeah, they, they need to be really careful with that stuff because that and. You know, Again, I don't mean to be the old man yelling at the cloud, but back in the day, you used to have these forward battles that would brew off those altercations. You know, we we got robbed of that. That's right. We got robbed of a Royce Hunt hit up off the next kickoff, you know, and and Horsburgh going for him and vice versa. We, we got robbed of it. Yeah, there's no reason that's. There's no reason that still can't happen with a yep. clean shot. But you can't if you get sent to the bin because you start to you started off yeah. That's that's what I mean. That it's you can't be sending players to the bin for that crap. Fair again. It's just ridiculous. I've got another bone to pick with the Raiders here, though. They did get the wing, but something that has been talked about. Uh, Tom Starling has given them a lot of attack that they've desperately needed. This is a Raiders side that has yet to score the first try in any of their matches, right? They take, they're, they're still starting Wolford. They're still having Starling off the bench. And to me, Wolfred doesn't offer a hell of a lot. Like, he's a solid footballer, fine, but to me, he's fringe NRL, you know. And the question keeps being asked, especially in Supercoach, but, you know, even in the real world, it, it still translates. What does Tom Starling have to do to be a starting nine? Now, I made the comment on social media with people questioning this that certainly in the past, Tom Starling's passing hasn't been where it needs to be to be a high-quality starting NRL nine. He needs to improve on that. But at the same time, you know, if you're a club that's struggling to get points on the board and Wolford really offers not very much in attack and Starling is spearheading your attack, leading you in tri-assists and line-break assists, surely just playing him 80 minutes, which he's fully capable of, is an option. But Ricky just never seems to want to do it. And he didn't do it this game again. And Starling again had a couple of tri-assists here. Yeah, I think it still doesn't want him in that first 20 minutes, take this thing out of the game and then come on. It's a similar... um strategy that um, Cleary started using last year with Coruscant, wasn't it? It's, he's just, Ricky's always done that with Starling. He, I don't think he, obviously in Ricky's mind, to get the best out of Starling, he doesn't want him playing 80 minutes. Whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. 
I haven't seen too many 80-minute games out of Starling, but um, geez, you can find a gap and create some plays when he's on the field. Yeah, I think that sometimes, and look, I don't want to sound like that I'm saying that I can coach and Ricky Stewart can't. Obviously, Ricky Stewart's a better coach than me, so I must be missing something. But to me, I always feel like that there's times where we start to overthink the game too much. And, you know, because we have certain styles of interchanges that some teams do successfully, it sort of catches on as, oh, well, this is this is how you have to do it. This is how many minutes these guys have to play or the role that they have to play. And I think that we get caught up in that. I just think it's overthinking it. Like, this is a Raiders side that got 18-0 down very, very quickly at the very start of a game against the Cowboys and were fortunate to even get back in that game. Like, I don't think the Raiders are a good enough side to you know, relinquish those point-scoring opportunities in the first 20 minutes that someone like Starling can give them still. So to me, I I don't agree with it, but we'll see how it goes. Let's move into some of the topics, Perso. Out of round three, Dragons are moving on from Griffin. So the Dragons have been slammed in some of the media, particularly Fox Sports and NRL 360, over what they labelled as a ludicrous Griffin move um, because they've told... uh, Anthony Griffin, that he'll need to reapply for his job and the club will be interviewing other coaches as well to look at what they will do in 2024 and beyond. I cannot I cannot believe, like... I don't think that's a bad move. The Dragons are well within their rights to say, what could we do to not get ridiculed? Okay, because they've made a lot of bad decisions, the Dragons. And here's the thing. You know, Paul Kent is saying it's a kick in the face to Griffin. I reckon Paul Kent would be saying... If they extended Griffin now, they'd, they'd be screaming on NRL 360. Why are, you, why are you giving him a contract? Why are you giving this guy a contract? Oh, the Dragons are terrible. They can't make the eight. Of course he would be. I, with no disrespect to Paul Kent, I've liked him for a long time, but I've noticed in the last couple of years, he's just off the radar with what he says. It's just clickbait now. He did say gives me the shit sometimes. Yeah, I, I like some of what he does. And this is the thing, like, Kenny gets a lot of hate, but there's a lot of quality stuff that he does. Unfortunately, he gets overshadowed. I've always been, I've always been a Kenny fan, but um, he's starting to turn me recently. Yeah, well, to me, this was just ridiculous. This was just Fox Sports just jumping on the negative narrative. Whichever way they went, it was going to be a negative narrative to play. Um, and look, to me, they've made the smart decision and they've made the non-Dragons decision here because the easy decision for the Dragons would have been Let's extend Anthony Griffin. Let's just give it to him. Let's just keep it out of the media. You know, no one will talk about us. It's fine. The hard thing to do and the hard decision, which is the right decision, is to say, actually, you haven't shown us anything yet, Griff. It's time for you to actually put the wins on the table and show us that you can win with this group. And if you can't, we're not going to give you a contract beyond this year. And that's what more being coaches the, should be told. Being the kind of guy that Griffin is, I already take that in his stride. I think you will too. He seems like a real honest bloke. And he seems like someone that would I take back him. I think he'd back himself to fucking do his job. Yeah, and he also seems to have the, the attitude person where I think that if he wasn't getting the runs on the board, he'd put his hand up at the end and say, look, I don't deserve a contract. Yeah, exactly. You know? It's just, and look, last week me and Luke Garrity spoke about how there's this trend in the game of these coaches getting contracts two years before they're even up and stuff, you know, which is, to me is just ridiculous. You have to earn your contract. The Dragons are telling him, you, you haven't gone well. If you can go well, you can get another contract, but yeah. show us first. And in the meantime, we are going to look at other options. And if you don't go well, we're going to give the job to someone else that we think can get the wins. You know, it's... But even with those, even with those upgrades, parts, we all know that that means nothing. They'd be gone six months. Yeah, it, it, teams can't afford to keep doing that, and the, the dragons can't afford it. 
Brad Arthur's just extended his contract, which I don't, I don't think Brad Arthur should go anywhere, but he's just extended. He hasn't even extended the media put it out that they've extended him again. He just took up the clause in his contract with Paramount having to stay for the extra season until 2024. If they're 0-6, you can guarantee the media's biting for his head. If they don't make the eight this year, there's no guarantee that he's going to see that out next year. Well, I, I mean, I said myself with Kevin Walters last week, you know, they get to the halfway point and capitulate like they did last year. They're going to want to sack Kevin Walters and they've just given him an extra two years. It's... Yeah, exactly. I mean, everyone knows that it's a fickle situation being an NRL coach. Mm. So I actually, I like the honesty from the Dragons. I like it. I do as well. I think it's the right move. It's a smart move. It's a football move. And they've finally made the right move for the Dragons going forward because they can't be stuck middling with coaches that can't get them results. Uh, Mitch Moses' contract is the next one. Now, there's there's Roosters rumours at the moment. Can I just say as a Roosters fan, Perso, I find that utterly, utterly ridiculous. Like, Sam Walker is looked at like a piece of gold at Roosters headquarters. He is such a good young prospect in the game. You know all this is? It's his manager, his uncle, Isaac, just trying to squeeze Parramatta out of every drop they can possibly give. That's ridiculous. It's honestly, it's, it's, and I think it's affecting uh, Mitchell's performance at the moment on the field. It's dragging on too long. He needs a better manager. Yeah, I, I really don't like it. And it's just, it's not smart, some of these moves that these players and managers are making at the moment. I mean, to the Roosters as well, and I'm going to give them some credit, even as a Roosters fan. I'm sorry, everyone. I really like that Polita stamped it out immediately. And he's actually come out in the media straight away and said, we're more than happy with Sam Walker. We have zero interest in uh, Mitchell Moses. And we're also going to speak to um, Robbo. And Robbo is going to speak to Walker and Curie to assure them that the speculation is just lies. You know, I, I love that because that's what you have to do as a club. And I just, it is one of those things per se where I think you're right with the manager. But it's like, if you want to get a bigger deal or you want to hold a couple of clubs over the barrel, just leak that the Roosters are interested. It seems to be what everybody yeah. does. Well, it's just that is a to and fro with the Tigers. This has been going on for that long now. He all but signed with Parramatta five months ago, but for whatever reason, the the deal hasn't been done. Whether it's over four years, five years, the extra year, the extra, like so, was that Moses trying to squeeze everything out of Parramatta by involving everyone else in it? The Bulldogs are there at one stage, and then Phil Gill poo pooed that and got rid of it. The Tigers are the only ones that have come out and said that they're still interested. <laughs> so it's sort of dragging on a bit there. But, like, I, I don't know. It's just getting ridiculous. It is. You're right. It's dragging. And this is where I think players need to take some responsibility for their actions because, you know, the, the players are very vocal on disliking the media when they're negative or when they blame stuff on the players or when they're constantly digging for stories and and printing what they would call garbage or making stories out of nothing and stuff. This is something that is up to Mitchell Moses. Like he has allowed this to drag on for six months. Oh, exactly. And, you know, the speculation obviously starts pretty much as soon as the grand final finishes. And November they're allowed to sign. And we're now towards April and there's nothing that's been done. And we've been told, like you said, several times that there has been something done. They've come out and said from Mitchell Moses camp, you know, they want to stay in Parramatta. There's no reason why this shouldn't be done. So I think that the negative press and the extra pressure on the deals, Mitchell Moses has to blame that on himself. I wouldn't be surprised if that's I wouldn't be surprised if that's why the Eels 
um, extended that clause in Arthur's contract to take him on for the next year already. Try and persuade Mitch Moses well, he's going to be here for the next three years. So, well, is he staying or not? Well, you'd be getting the shits, really. It's just getting yeah, ridiculous. and if you're getting paid a million bucks a year from a club and you're a halfback, you know, you're in it, you've got a leadership responsibility there. And part of that leadership is to not allow your contract circumstances to blow back on your club, right? Like, to me, that's part of your leadership. And this has been five, six months ongoing now. Um, I, I think that, you know, at this point, Mitchell Moses does take a bit of accountability for part of the Eels issues and certainly being in the media and stuff. Like, And I don't understand. I, I don't oh, understand. Yes, so why does it take this yes, long? Why couldn't they just sort this out? It's not like they were lowballing him. It's not like um, you, you're talking about, like, it's a million-dollar contract, by the way. I think the Tigers were offering four years and it was like, 1.4 and Parramatta's up 1.2 or something. So, like, it's, I don't know. You, some onus definitely has to go back on Moses. 100% it has to. And and what are your options here? Like, if you're not going to sign with the Eels, you're going to sign with the Tigers. Nobody else is interested. Nobody else needs a half and nobody else is paying 1.2 million plus. Not for that kind. No, they're not. So, you don't have much of a decision to make, do you? Do you want to go back to the Tigers or do you want to stay at the Eels? You know, it's, that's not a five-month decision. You need... Well, it could end up backfiring on him. Well, good. You know, they're 0-3. If they end up 0-6, what does that do to Moses' value? Oh, exactly. Yeah, it's it's bad. And, you know, sometimes you know, the media is a little bit out there with some of the stories they dredge up and they decide to create, particularly about player contracts and signing at different spots and whatever. But, you know, in some instances as well, player managers and players themselves are going to take a bit of responsibility too. The NRL is looking at increasing their squad size. So at the moment... They're at a squad size of 30 per so, and they're increasing it to 38 potentially. It's being discussed at the moment. Seems like a very good call and seems like one that is, um, you know, to be honest, probably a couple of years in the making that they should have been in before, really. 38 seemed high to me, though. Like, I sort of thought we'd go 33, 34 or something. But with all the HIA rules coming in now, where guys are going to be sitting down 11 days as a mandatory sentence on the sidelines and also the increased injuries that we're getting and, and certain things. And also the suspensions are actually up a little bit as well. Uh, it, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? But uh, oh, oh, 38, to me, I've always wanted a national reserve grade back. I think that's just the best way to develop the game, especially when they're talking about expansion and things like that. I think we need a national reserve grade. A 38-man squad makes sense. Um, all these players, they're playing in this, oh, he can't play till around 11 and... He's not contracted, so unless you get special dispensation through injuries, that guy can't play. Like it, I think they need to increase it, especially with all the, the HIA stuff these days. Yeah, uh, I think that's a fantastic point with the reserve grade stuff. Uh, this didn't used to be a problem because you had a full reserve grade side under your 20-man NRL squad sort of thing that you had on game day. And whether a guy's in a top 30 contract or not, if he's contracted at your club in reserve grade and you got injured, he should be able to come in. 100% because he's a reserve grader, right? He's second grade and he can come up to first grade if you need him. It's, that's what it's there for. So that's a really good point, but it is something that I think that they needed to do because you said yourself when we were reviewing round three, Newcastle had to get special dispensation just to get a bench on the weekend. Yeah, two guys on the bench. Yeah. That's, yeah. Which shouldn't have to happen. It just should be logical. Like the next guys up should be able to step in, whether they're in that top contract or not. If they're on match payments for that game, so be it. Do you think but they're in the system? Yeah, you, I was about to say. Do you think that if you, if you've got a contract with a club, you should just be allowed to be just plucked out? Like if you're in, you know, third grade and contracted from a club, do you think you should you should be able to just be put in an NRL if they decide they want to do that? 
Well, if they need to, yeah. I don't. I don't. What point is that? It's not going against the salary cap. It's not like you got like. Um, <laughs> be different if you had Roger Tuivasa-Jet come back over. So the Knights were, so to speak, and Roger Tuivasa-Jet comes over and he's on match payments with West Mag. It does make you miss the days where you used to get guys plucked out of obscurity, doesn't it? Like you know, you used to get guys thrown out of reserve <laughs> yeah. grade into an Origin game and stuff every now and then. <laughs> obviously, that sort of, obviously that sort of thing is no good. But like, if, if it's in the system, I don't see the problem with it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know either. Um, we're going to move on to Barnsley's spray of the week before we get to the legendary one. My spray of the week, the judiciary. Oh, my God. Like, honestly. I know. This was odd. This was coming. Kafusi (laughs) got done for three to four weeks for that tackle on the weekend, and he went and fought it and lost and ended up four weeks. He's got four weeks on the sideline. In that defense, they showed the Joseph Suali tackle, and he he got a fine. Now, I'm obviously a Roosters fan. I do not think at all that Kafuzi tackle is any different than what Suali'i did. I, 100% it wasn't. I will draw the line with people that are saying Suali'i's was worse. I don't think it was. Um, nah, it wasn't worse at all. They were both innocuous. Both very innocuous tackles. And, you know, I I don't know how one gets four weeks and one gets a fine. I don't, don't, don't get me wrong, Perso. I do not think that Suali'i should be suspended at all. I just don't think that Kafusi should get anything. And this isn't the sort of thing where you get one week or two weeks. He's gone for a month per so. Oh, it's ridiculous. We've been, we've been, I don't know how many conversations we've had about this judiciary for the last, what, over the last 10 years. I mean, at no further point at this point in time am I any more confident in their ability, what they're doing, their consistency. It's just an absolute joke. And from an actual football perspective, and this was the thing, right? Back in the day, you didn't have ex-players in there. And now you've got ex-players, right? And the whole idea was when they put ex-players in there as part of a panel, they're meant to understand rugby league. They've played it. They're meant to understand the scenarios. And if you've ever played rugby league at any level, especially as a forward like Kafusi, and going to hit somebody that's a, a playmaker that's that's running into the line and digging in, you know that you can't pull out or change something at that point. Like, I used to do it all the time and it's not because I was trying to be malicious or dirty or take someone out. It was your job. job. If you ball watch, you get the Clint Gutherson tries on the weekend against Manly and you get absolutely roasted for poor defence. If somebody's got the ball in their hands, you don't let them play around with it and decide what they want to do. You hit them. To me, I don't know, Barzi, but to me, four weeks on that sort of play would be late and high and almost deliberate. Oh, 100%. And you're talking like real late. Like you're talking he could have had, you know, a, a dinner and a movie in between. Exactly. Not in, like that is grade one at worst. Penalty, 10 in the bin, maybe. I wouldn't have been, if it didn't get 10 in the bin, it wouldn't have bothered me. I don't think it should have been binned at all. I, w- I would have the shits if I got fined for that. I, I would be mad o angry. I would be annoyed that you're finding me money for just playing rugby league. Four weeks is ludicrous. But that's a penalty, and look, I'm going to even say it's a borderline penalty. And I'm going to go back to a few comments on social media that really irked me. Um, there was a lot of comments around, yeah, but he hit him hard. Yeah, but, you know, it's dangerous. And then another person talking about, oh, but it does, it's not a good look hitting someone in the ribs like that. It is rugby league. 
you are allowed to hit people as hard as you like. And in fact, it's encouraged. It's part of the game. We talk about it like it's a gladiator sport and it is, it's supposed to be. These guys are hitting each other as hard as they can. If they do not, they will get hurt. And make no mistake, if they can cause some damage, that's part of the game too because you're trying to get it over on your position all legally, I might add. I cannot believe that people are pulling stuff up saying, oh, yeah, but that was too hard or that would hurt. Like, who cares? Well, did, did they say the same thing when he whacked cheese twice in two games yeah. against the Chooks? And then did they say the same thing when he just sorted out Hudson Young's ribs the week before with the exact same shot? Yeah, exactly. I'm no Kofuzi fan at all. I don't like some of the stuff that he's done in the past and I think it's been a bit grubby, but there is absolutely nothing in that. It is just a forward hitting someone hard that had the ball and dug into the line. And when he launches himself... There is no way that he can even see that the ball has been passed. I don't even think it's late in regard to if you're going hard and fast into a tackle. Not when you compare it to a lot of other ones. Like it, it really, you, you're nitpicking. And to get to get four weeks for that is just, I, I reckon it's disgraceful. Oh, I think it's, I think a lot a lot more should be being said about it than what is. And, you know, to Fox's credit, to Channel 9's credit, to pretty much every media outlet's credit, everybody has said, you know, it's it's terrible that he's getting four weeks. Um in saying that, like I, I don't like that they're saying that Sualees was worse and <laughs> should actually get suspended. The, the whole point is that none no, of them should be suspended and you have to have some football common sense and knowledge in this. And the football common sense... The other alarming thing that's popped up there is that, that seems to be, well, whatever reason, um, if you get hit with a grade, don't bother defending it this year because you're going to get stung. Well, I don't think that's anyone right. that's gone in there has come out better off. They're all getting stung. Yeah, and look, this is the thing, right? The the elephant in the room is, has the NRL and the match review committee on the side had a bit of a chat and said, well, we can't let these you know players keep getting off and stuff because it makes us look bad? Because if they have, that's really dirty. And it's really bad for the game as well because, like, this should be really cut and dry. They didn't even... There was They were joking um, in the Dolphins camp during the week oh, about how Kafusi... Oh, I thought for and, sure he was going to get downgraded. Oh, for sure. They were joking in the Dolphins camp that Kafusi was watching suits, all, watching suits all week on Netflix and was going to go and defend himself. And I sort of... I had a chuckle and said to myself, he probably should. It's not It's not hard defence. Watch the video. I'm not guilty. <laughs> you know, like, what, yeah. what did I do? Oh, uh, it should have been downgraded. I, yeah, I can't believe it, to be honest. Uh, obviously, that's a stance that they've set. So it'll be interesting to see what happens for the rest of the season. Yeah, and the other thing that came up as well, um, and this is sort of to my point as well about the fans that are saying, oh, he hit him hard or he hit him in the ribs and stuff. It was a South um, injury on the weekend for Shaq Mitchell, which was unfortunate. And all of a sudden, South have come out and said, Victor Adley did a hip drop tackle and that's why he's hurt. You know, it shouldn't be done. He should have been sighted and stuff. Victor Adley's tackle as well. He's hit him around the hips as a second man in and just slid down slowly around his legs. He hasn't jumped. Which is what you're taught to do. Not only what you're taught to do, but what else do you do? You know, do you, there's no, there's other, no option. other option. You know, Shaq Mitchell's short of releasing your arms and falling off the black and letting him run. Shaq Mitchell's six foot three and 130 kilos. Like, what do you want to do? Somebody's wrestling with his arms up top and you're the second man in. This whole hip drop thing that's crept in in the last 18 months grinds my gears, Barney. Most of the ones that go for hip drop are not hip drops. No, not at all. And it's, you know, there's going to be injuries in rugby league and you can't overreact. But my point in bringing this up as well is that you have a lot of different fans. I'm not just going to say South fans. I'm, I'm not against any particular fan group, but there's a lot of fans that are coming out and saying, we want Radley banned. You know, that was the wrong type of tackle to do. He shouldn't do it. 
And in this Kafusi one, well, he hit him too hard still. He hit him in the ribs, blah, blah, blah. Fans need to be really careful what they wish for because if you love rugby league, you would hate for the NRL to take on board the feedback of some of the fans at the moment. <laughs> Those same fans are probably whinging in the, in the second breath about not being able to shoulder charge a punch anymore. Mm, it's, yeah, exactly. Look, you, just be careful what you wish for because at the moment, the way the NRL is suspending tackles and some, some rugby league play that is genuine rugby league play is alarming. I'm going to stop the spray because we've got to finish on our legend rewind perso. It's a very somber one. So, unfortunately, John Sattler passed away this week. Um, very, very sad. 20th of March, passed away. Absolute rugby league legend. Played prop in the 60s and 70s for the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Um, really, I guess, sad that his passing has brought about people getting knowledge of what a fantastic player he was. He was a prop that was also captain of a South Sydney side that between 1967 and 71 uh, went to five consecutive grand finals and won four of them. The only one that they actually lost was against Balmain. He also, after a stellar career at South Sydney for almost a decade, went on and played at West Brisbane and then North Brisbane as well, represented both um, state of origin and Australia representative level as well. Uh, But his grand final achievements were phenomenal for a South Sydney juggernaut in the 60s and 70s, and playing one of the toughest positions on the field as well. He, he was as tough as a bag of bricks. It was unbelievable what a, a tough, uncompromising Ford he was, but also known as Gentleman John off the field because he was such a, a terribly lovely bloke. Um, it's very sad that he's passed away, but it does give us a chance to talk about his career a bit more, and it should be talked about. Uh, fantastic career that I'm going to say was punctuated by that 1970 grand final where you see all the iconic images of, of him getting carried after the game with a busted jaw. Fractured his jaw in two places, per se. Uh, and he's very early on. Too. Very early on. Uh, asked his teammates to help him up and to hold him up so they didn't know that he was hurt and that at halftime rejected <laughs> rejected getting any sort of help or anything and, and, and actually talked about how the mouth guard held his jaw in place, so it was okay. What? I've heard several um, interviews with Mike Cleary over the years. Uh, on different podcasts and different things. And, um, yeah, he said, Sattler, to come up where he said, my, you got to hold me up. I'm going to earn him. <laughs> and my says, fuck me, Sats, you got to hold me up. Have a look at you. <laughs> Jaws hanging off his head. Then like, that, he, you know, he played the whole game, you know. Like, that's just, that is, that's where the legend's born. But he was a fantastic footballer by all accounts. Good, uh, solid newbie boy too, actually. Carrie Jr., yeah, moved to Curry Curry as a young lad uh, from Queensland, and um, yeah, played up there before he moved to, to Sydney to play for South Sydney. So, 197 games for South and 12 tries wasn't much of a try score, but uncompromising and very aggressive, tough forward. My my father in law, um, I went to dinner on Monday night and he hadn't heard the news, and um, he was quite upset about it. And he said he used to see him and Bob McCarthy, um, and his story was he used to see Sattler and, and McCarthy jogging on the cement at Maroubra to do their own training. And if that wasn't old school enough, he was like, back in the day, those paths there, those footpaths were, oh, were hugely wide. They were massive footpaths. And he was like, there, there was not enough room on those huge footpaths for McCarthy and Sattler to jog because they were just such massive humans. 
And <laughs> he, he just he just loved John Sattler and said he was just such a fantastic bloke off the field. But on the field, he was so feared and respected and such a great leader. So, I mean, I've watched a heap of replays per so, and I just, those iconic images from the 1970 grand final, I've always loved. And it's a sad day that he's passed away, but what a career. Yeah, yeah, there's a legend, Sattler. Um, and it was just off the field. Always had time for anyone. Being able to pop up and see him. Oh, Sattler, so yeah, you'd have a chat and have a yarn. Just a, um, a great bloke. And it always stuck with Souths too, even even post-footy. You know, the, the one club one club bloke for the NRL and um, always supported his South Sydney Rabbitohs afterwards, even though his son ended up playing for Penrith. Very sad per se, but, you know, it's a good legendary one to do. Um, does wrap up the podcast pretty nicely. Uh, thanks for jumping on board again. Love getting you on for the talking footy episodes, mate. So, you know, I might get you on for a super coach episode one day again too. We've got to, got to share you around a little bit between episodes. That's <laughs> uh, all good, Buzzy. Always good to have you on. Cheers, mate. Well, if anyone wants to download, subscribe, share, you can find us everywhere. SoundCloud, Amazon, iTunes, Spotify. You can also follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore Allstars. The Talk and Footy episode will be up on Thursdays. So next week we'll have another one to talk about. But if you love your Supercoach, make sure you tune in to the TLT Supercoach episode. We record next Tuesday. We'll drop on the Wednesday. Until then, though, we've got a great round of footy about to kick off. So enjoy this round of footy. We'll review it all next week and can't wait to chat to you all real soon about it. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on. Go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on. Get 